well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking with Brian Strausser of the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, recently named the 2023 Grassroots Activist of the Year by the Second Amendment Foundation at the Gun Rights Policy Conference. Uh, so I thought we'd talk with Brian about what it takes to be a good activist, as well as uh, honing in on what's going on in Minnesota. Uh, some interesting developments there, as um, you know, some of these "quote unquote" moderate legislators. Oh, just we just want a few common sense, reasonable measures. That's all. And we were reluctant to vote for the ones that we did. Uh, now, siding with Gabby, no more guns, Giffords in a uh, fundraiser. Yeah, we'll talk about that here in just a second. Before we do, though, Biden's America, it is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch me next time to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming on the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, with thousands of five-star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call 855-412-3806 today. That's Gold Co. at 855-412-3806. And without any further ado, let's get to our conversation with Brian Strausser of the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, how to be a good activist and more. Take a look and a listen. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show today, sir. It's good to see you. Great to see you, Cam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And congratulations. Uh, this is, you know, I, I was named to the Gun Rights Policy Conference, the uh, 2023 uh, Journalist of the Year, but you were named the Grassroots Activist of the Year. Uh, Alan Gottlieb called you an individual who has gone far beyond what most activists do. Uh, talking about leading the fight against restrictive gun control and prohibition in Minnesota, including the uh, court battle to secure a summary judgment against the state's prohibition on uh, 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 not issuing concealed carry licenses to adults under the age of 21. Um, I, you know, this is one of many fights that you all have going on in Minnesota right now. So let me just ask you, um, just kind of generally, what what are the big issues for gun owners right now in Minnesota? The challenge in Minnesota right now is that we went from divided government where the Republicans controlled the Senate and the House was controlled by the Democrats. We call them the Democratic Farmer Labor Party here. And we have a, a DFL governor in Tim Walls as well. Um, that's where it was prior to last year's election. In last year's election, the the Democrats held the House, uh, reelected the governor and took control of the Senate by one vote. Um, so the challenge has been, how do we stop gun control from passing in Minnesota? And if it does pass, how do we do the best we can to water that down as far as we can? And they, of course, tried every single thing you could think of to see what would stick. What uh, what ultimately ended up sticking this session? The only thing they were able to pass was a red flag law. Um, so, of course, they called it extreme risk protective orders or something along those lines. That takes effect January 1st, 2024. There's still an implementation with that. And then they passed a watered down universal background check or universal gun registration law 
that has a lot of exceptions to it. Um, they didn't get anything near close to what they wanted, but they still got it passed. Obviously, you're concerned about them coming back for more in January, right? They will absolutely be back for more. Uh, it's a two-year legislative session here. Only the House is up for re-election next year. So the Senate, even though it's controlled by one vote, you know they're feeling pretty safe. They're not up again until 2026. I think the Democrats feel pretty good about all the things they passed last year. They they legalized cannabis. They're allowing felons to vote. Um, they spent our entire budget surplus to raise our taxes, had all kinds of handouts and everything else. Um, and the the vulnerable Democrats in the Senate just announced this morning that they're having Gabby Giffords out for a fundraiser in a couple of weeks, even though they said, you know, we don't we support the Second Amendment and, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, these guys from rural Minnesota are having this fundraiser with someone who said there shouldn't be any guns anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like this is Gabby Giffords. I know that uh, Peter Ambler, who's, uh, I guess, leaving as executive director of Giffords. I know he tried to walk back her comments to Time magazine, but he did. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? Uh, the Time reporter asked, what's your goal? She said the answer. No more guns. No more guns. She said it twice. Um, yeah. And so yeah. that's who these rural uh, state right. senators are embracing. Right. So much for moderation. So much for moderation. I mean, these guys. Uh, said they were listening to gun owners in their district and that this is as far as they would go. And they were voting for this reluctantly because we need to do something. And then today, this morning, right before it came on, we learned, you know, they're going to do a fundraiser with Gabby Giffords. I, I assume that the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus will be uh, reminding the voters in these districts uh, exactly what position Gabby Giffords takes when it comes to gun ownership, that this is not okay. moderate or common sense or reasonable. This is, again, no more guns. Yeah, we absolutely are going to be doing that. Uh, we broke the news on social media this morning, uh, and there'll be more to come on that. I think the events in two weeks. Okay. So more to come. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and it's interesting because, as you say, Minnesota was divided for so long. And so you had that sort of um, stopgap, right, to where the, gun, the bad bills couldn't go anywhere. Even with this narrow majority, though, uh, and I know that, you know, Democrats, you say they didn't get everything that they asked for. But when you think about everything that they had asked for, they weren't running with these narrow majorities, right? They were running like, OK, this is our opportunity. This is our best chance to to really enact some stiff gun control policies. Were you surprised at all of the gun control bills that were introduced, given the narrow majority in the legislature? I wasn't we weren't surprised by what was introduced because the folks that introduced the tougher bills, the more strict gun control bills were from, you know, core blue districts in the state. Uh, I live in a very blue area. My state senator introduced licensing, mental health checks, insurance requirements, limits on carry that, you know, would the courts would laugh at if we, you know, if they passed. Um, the uh, there was an assault weapons ban an assault weapons ban, just to be clear. Uh, introduced by a state senator who represents the urban part of Duluth, which is blue as blue is going to get. She's not, she probably will be hailed as a hero by her constituents for introducing this bill, um, even though the bill wouldn't survive first contact with a federal judge. Yeah. So these folks, I think, feel pretty safe about what they did. The mm -hmm. rural Democrats, the ex-urban Democrats, um, they're going to have challenges in 24 and 26. I think it will just depend a lot on what the national landscape looks like with the election and what turnout turns out to be. And what are the impact of some of these bills, uh, these and others that were passed by this majority?
You know, and it's interesting because, I mean, you look at a state like New Mexico, which has broader Democratic majorities. Um, those Democrats, however, those rural Democrats seem to be listening to their voters a little bit more. Uh, they, Michelle yeah. Luan Grisham did not get, you know, her, I think, three or four big ticket items, including a 14 day waiting period, a ban on so-called assault weapons. Um, so she tried to do this, you know, unilateral carry ban. Now, yeah. you can't carry in Albuquerque and Bernalillo County. Uh, and a lot of Democrat lawmakers said, listen, that that's wrong. You can't do that. Um, well, we, we not only that, or yeah, not only that, or state AG from right. party is like, well, we're not going to do that. So I, mean, I, don't, I don't have the luxury of that I have, Keith. Ellison, so <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, have you thought about, and I don't know that you're going to have the answer to this, but have you thought about why New Mexico Democrats are responding differently than than Minnesota Democrats uh, to this gun control push? And again, I mean, you've got you know two pretty rural states, mm-hmm. uh, Democrat control. Uh, yet it seems like Minnesota Democrats are are far more willing, even those rural uh, lawmakers, to throw gun owners under the bus than what we're seeing, at least at the moment. And I would caution at the moment uh, at in the New moment. Mexico. I mean, I, I think it's a two part challenge, right? Part of it is um, on the legal front with Keith Ellison. I mean, Ellison has said publicly as recently as a couple of weeks ago that he thought Heller was wrongly decided and was a horrible decision. So he just doesn't believe in the right to keep and bear arms. So I think if we ever found ourselves in a situation where the governor tried something like what New Mexico's governor did, I think Ellison would probably try to defend it in court. I mean, he's defending the 18 to 20 year old carry permit ban at the Court of Appeals here in the coming couple of months uh, as well. So I think that's part of it. I think the other issue is the the rural Democrats that voted for the gun control legislation here in Minnesota, they did it in a large omnibus bill. They talked, you know, they, they tried to split the baby and talk about all this great funding and other things that they wanted. And they were reluctantly voting for this because we need to do something in this case. And I think they felt pretty safe given the mix of that. Um, and, and the fact that their election, at least for the Senate, that they're safe, they're not up again for four more years. Yeah. Um, so I think they're counting on voters forgetting. We're going to make sure voters don't forget. You know, and I'm glad that you brought up the process of how that uh, that gun control legislation was uh, signed into law, because, you know, we're seeing all kinds of games being played around the country. Massachusetts, for example, they introduced uh, HD 4420 back in the summer. Uh, want to get it done by the end of July. There was so much opposition from gun owners, from law enforcement. They ended up having to pull the bill back. They reintroduce it in early October. They give people, I, th- I think they introduced it on a Friday. They said uh, Friday before Columbus Day. Uh, and they said, you know what, we're going to have our only public hearing uh, next Tuesday. So they didn't give folks a lot of time. Public hearing is held. Chiefs come out unanimously opposed to this gun control legislation. Uh, and then they play all these games. All of a sudden, we've got a substitute bill. Now it's being, uh, you know, it's, it's bypassing the uh, the committees and it's going directly to the floor with a whole new bill number. Amendments added at the last minute. Um You know, and again, you talk about this omnibus legislation sort of providing cover for Democrats in Minnesota. Brian, if these gun control proposals were truly as popular as the anti-gunners claim they are, do you think they'd have to be playing all of these legislative games to get these bills enacted into law? No. I mean, I can't speak for I don't know all the details of the machinations in Massachusetts other than I used to live there and I know how they play the games there. We had something similar here. The governor introduced a budget bill that had gun control. Um, the the uh, the Democrats immediately stripped out um, some components of that and narrowed it down to red flags and universal background checks. 
And then under pressure from our sheriffs, they took those out entirely for quite a while, for several weeks, only to bring it back in the omnibus bill about a couple day, a day or two before it passed at 2 a.m. Right, We saw a 360, 380 page bill uh, at two o'clock in the morning that had this reinserted with different language that we'd never testified on and then brought it to a committee hearing. We, we did have an opportunity to testify in the committee uh, in the Senate, um, but we had testified in the House with different language weeks and weeks or even months prior to that. So these games are pretty common. Um, you know, we've had stuff inserted in conference committees after one house passed a bill without any gun control and the other house passed it with gun control. And then they hashed through it in you know, the dark of the night, so to speak. It, it's um, having to be there at the legislature all the time uh, for an organization like ours is can be a challenge uh, yeah. when there are 16, 20 hour days that my counterpart, Rob Doerr, that heads our government relations team has to to do throughout session. You know, and that's that. absolutely. I mean, and, and Rob was great during the session and finding time to talk with uh, with me and uh, for for Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, th th this is you guys are a pretty small outfit uh, and you, I think, are punching above your weight. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, when when it, when it comes to your recognition as a grassroots activist of the year, um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that you would say that uh, there are others within the caucus that deserve some recognition as well, right? Absolutely. I, I was very surprised by the award. I think the one that we, we've always uh, um, tried to manage things as an organization, um, and I couldn't have done any of that or received that recognition without the contributions of the rest of our team. So what does it take to be a good grassroots activist these days, Brian? Well, I think it uh, I think it starts with a willingness and a commitment to get involved. Um, the whole reason I got involved in this um, is uh, I think we had mentioned before I came on. I'm from Indiana originally, and if you want to buy a firearm in Indiana, you just go to the gun shop and pick up the firearm that you want, and you check out. Right? You go through the federal background check, and you go home. And I went to buy a, a rifle here after having lived in the state for a couple of years. And they're like, well, we need to see your, you know, this is an assault weapon under Minnesota law. So we need to see your permit to purchase. And I'm like, what is that? And it irritated me. Um, and so I started volunteering with uh, a previous organization that's now uh, has, has kind of gone by the wayside. Uh, and then that led us down the road several years later to form the Minnesota Gunners Caucus and Political Action Committee. So I think you'd have to, you've got to have a motivation uh, and a commitment to get involved. Um, and then I think it's learning from people that have done it before you what's going to be effective, but at the same time, not being afraid to go your own way. Um, the, um, previous organizations or other organizations we've worked with in the past, not as active on social media, don't you know do things like this, live video, um, or finding other ways to communicate, particularly with the younger generation of, of shooters and activists. And I think finding the things that work and resonate with the audience is important. Do you have any mentors, um, you know, folks that you, you talked about again, like learning from others, but then being able to go in your own direction? Uh, are, are there folks that, that you learn from as a as a new activist when you were just getting into this that uh, uh, that have sort of, you know, resonated with you, their message and, and their activism? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I would say there's two generations of folks here in Minnesota, David Gross and Joe Olson, uh, Professor Joe Olson, uh, were the gun rights stalwarts, prior, you know, when I came onto the scene 15 years ago, Joe, uh, Professor Olson wrote most of Minnesota's pro-gun rights legislation. 
Um, and they did this in a in the day where there really were smoky back rooms and you negotiated things there. You didn't have to worry about social media or people reading bills online. And it just gave you a different perspective on things. Um, and then I think the the newer generation that are more in in my age group, so to speak, but Brandon Combs and his team at the Firearms Policy Coalition uh, and uh, Adam Kraut and Alan Gottlieb and others at the Second Amendment Foundation and the CCRBKA, I think have really shown us how to engage um, in a more confrontational way, but professionally, um, and then using the courts where you need to use the courts to force the issue. Uh, and all of them have been influential in how I how I think and lead this organization as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny too because you, you you use the word confrontational. Um, there is that phrase Minnesota nice, right? Uh, sure. So so <laughs> so how do you strike that balance of hey, listen, you know what? I, I'm not going to bend over backwards and kiss the rear ends of people who want to violate my civil rights, right? Um, but I also don't want to turn off. That that third party audience out there who aren't, you know, gun control activists or not Second Amendment activists they are just voters who are largely ignorant on this issue. They don't think yeah. about it a lot. How do you yeah. how do you strike that balance? Well, I think our approach depends on what the audience is. Right. I mean, sometimes I have to remind uh, Republicans, for example, that we're not part of the Republican Party of Minnesota. Um, and if you don't vote our way, if you're not going to cooperate or support our legislation, then we're going to confront you and we're going to tell your constituents uh, about that. And we may run someone against you because we want a gun rights candidate holding that seat. Um, I think in a more um, with uh, with folks who feel different than we do on the issue, I think it's important uh, where they can be persuaded than to be educational and be professional in that engagement. Uh, and I think where you're dealing with a hostile audience that's never going to come around to your point of view. I think it's okay to mock them uh, and point out their hypocrisy on the issue. Um, I think a good example, the the University of Minnesota Law School has a gun violence prevention clinic uh, that they founded a year ago with out-of-state anti-gun funding, of course. And they, uh, they're having uh, an event uh, next Friday about balancing uh, safety and justice. And it's, I mean, everyone that's speaking is on the pro-gun control side of things, right? Right. Rob and I are going. Um, we'll be professional, we'll be appropriate in what we do. We've told our members about it. We've encouraged them to sign up and come. Um, it's probably not a place for confrontation in terms of being a jerk, but it is a place to ask some hard questions like, what does Bruin really mean to you? Um, you know, do you think Heller was wrongly decided? And their opening panel has got our attorney general on there and the lead attorney from Giffords. Uh -huh. So it's not going to go, they're not going to have, their view of balance is not going to line up with any actual balance. <laughs> but I think it's important to be at those events and have a voice and give a contrarian point of view. Absolutely. But we're not going to disrupt it or protest it or anything like that. Yeah, no, but you will be there. You will hopefully have the opportunity again to ask those questions that would not be asked by the moderator at an event like that, Right. You know, so, so to that end, I mean, you talk about Keith Ellison, uh, someone who is very much on the far left. And it's weird, Brian, because, you know, there are some folks on the I would say the far left who are not in favor of gun control because they say, well, at least to over incarceration. Right. It's it's part of over policing. You've got all of these people. I think like the public defenders brief in Bruin is a perfect example uh, of, of this type of philosophy. Right. Where. Even if you're not necessarily a huge fan of gun ownership, you're not a big supporter of the Second Amendment. You say, look, these all of these nonviolent possessory offenses, all they're doing 
are saddling people with felony records to putting people in prison for what? What's the point of this? That's right. Do you think, is it worth talking to folks on the left about this issue, either from a Second Amendment perspective or from a criminal justice reform perspective? Are there inroads to be made or is it just a waste of time? That they're just they're 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 embracing that inherent contradiction. They don't really care about it. Yes, we can have more gun control. Yes, we can defund the police. Yes, we can have more laws on the books and less enforcement. And those two things can can operate perfectly fine together. I've had um, so we've had mixed success with that. I think when we're talking to activists on the other side, and I don't mean gun control activists, but I mean you know more left leaning political activists that are involved in the process. Um, I think we have I think we have good success in explaining those issues to them where we can change some minds. I haven't seen it work at the legislature. We tried this in the gun control hearings, particularly in the House this year. And there was some good dialogue from some of the the Democrats on the Public Safety Committee, but they all came around to well, the chiefs of police say that this do, this doesn't have any racial implications and that they'll treat everyone fairly on these permits to to purchase and we've inserted some due process and, you know, whatever BS that they were peddling. I haven't seen it change their minds, although they'll all tell you they're concerned about it and this raises some concerns, but I haven't seen it change. I've seen it change their votes. Maybe the gun control lobby just has deeper pockets than the uh, criminal justice reform lobby does. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's why we see where they come down where they do. One thing in Minnesota, I, I think worth pointing out is the the ACLU of Minnesota came out against these gun control laws. Um, they testified against them in the hearing um, in the House and Senate. They sent written testimony on the bills as they moved through various communities. They got to touch different committees for budgetary and whatever. They submitted written testimony on all of those opposing them because of racial disparity and other justice and equal opportunity issues. Hmm. Well, it's. It's it's nice to see at least one chapter of the ACLU is uh, you know not afraid to uh, even even uh, you know sort of uh, accidentally uh, weigh in in favor of the Second Amendment. I wish the national organization would uh, take that same point of view. Uh, Brian, listen, man, I, I appreciate you spending some time with us today, and uh, you know on behalf of everybody in the audience here, thank you for all of your activism. Um, any any final words, any final message for uh, for our audience before we call on you again here in a couple of months to talk about what's going on in Minnesota? Yeah, we'll be back in legislative session in February. So we'll see what they decide to cook up between February and the end of May when we wrap up uh, for the year or for the session. Um, but no, get, get involved, stay involved, work with your local gun rights group and support strong organizations like the Second Amendment Foundation and the Firearms Policy Coalition, our two national partners here at the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. And how can folks follow you guys online? You talk about all the work you're doing on social media. Where can we find you? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter or X uh, at MN Gun Caucus. You can find us on Facebook under our name, Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, or our website, gunowners.mn. If you're in the state, get on our mailing list where we send out action alerts about our events and other things that are coming up. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for everything you do. Thanks for spending some time with us today. And I look forward to picking up the conversation again here in the very near future. Yeah, congrats on your award as well. And thanks for all that you're doing. Hey, thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, my thanks to Brian Strasser for joining us on the program. I have a feeling we're going to have him back again before the start of the legislative session in February. In fact, I think we're going to try to get uh, Brian and Rob Doerr uh, on the program to talk about that event at the uh, University of Minnesota Law Center uh, shortly after it takes place. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We'll start there, although I will say that this is not 
a true recidivist case. At least I don't know if it is. A 14-year-old arrested after a crime spree ends in a stolen car chase uh, in uh, Puyallup, Washington. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I can do Walla Walla, but uh, man, Puyallup, I've never, ever been able to get that. Uh, The 14-year-old in question, one of uh, just four suspects taken into custody after a string of armed robberies reported in the city. And this was the real takeaway. Sergeant Darren Moss with the uh, Pierce County Sheriff's Department spoke with KOMO-TV, and he said, there's no accountability. Talking about juvenile offenders, he said, there's nothing telling them that, hey, if you do this, you're going to get into really big trouble. Because most of the time, they don't. They get released back home. They have probation or they have home arrest, which allows them to go to school. They really don't have any restriction. And they continue to go back out and do more stuff. The uh, deputy went on to say that there are two groups that really haven't been held accountable for the past couple of years. They've been getting a lot more breaks. He says those are juveniles and people who are addicted to drugs. Deputy Moss said our drug addicts are committing a lot of these offenses. Fentanyl usage is extremely high throughout our state, and those people are committing crimes to fuel their drug habit. Between the, again, drug addicts who are committing, in many cases, property crimes, in some cases, violent crimes to fuel their drug habit, uh, again, I think that the deputy has hit on something here when he talks about the juvenile justice system and the lack of consequences for very serious offenses. This 14-year-old, for example, not only accused of participating in an armed robbery, uh, but sped away from officers after they uh, found him, uh, got into a wreck, damaged other people's property, allegedly. And what's going to happen? Chances are not much. Uh, It's not like this uh, 14-year-old is going to be confined to juvenile detention center until he turns 18. Uh, You're probably looking at best a couple of months in juvenile detention. Uh, And more likely, maybe an ankle monitor. That'll supposedly keep track of where that teenager is. But very, very few restrictions placed on him going forward. And the deputy's right. If you don't ensure consequences for serious crimes, guess what you're going to see more of? Those same serious crimes. Today's Armed Citizen story from Ohio. Don't have a lot of information here. Happened in uh, Bel Air, Ohio. Three local residents hospitalized after an alleged axe attack and shooting. The uh, shooting would have been in self-defense by one of the individuals who was attacked with an axe. Um, Police in Bel Air, Ohio. Said his department received reports of shots fired early Monday morning. When they got to the scene, they learned that a male was allegedly attacked and struck by an axe-wielding assailant. The man then reportedly shot his attacker in self-defense. Police say 47-year-old Michael Hummel of New Philadelphia, Ohio, was taken to the hospital with wounds that he suffered from the reported attack. Meanwhile, Joseph James, uh, no age or city listed by police, taken to the hospital with a gunshot wound. A uh, female from Bel Air also taken to the hospital. Uh, police say the investigation, uh, the uh, incident rather, is under investigation. Believe it might have something to do with domestic violence. Uh, but again, not a lot of details so far. We'll see if we can find more information in the coming days and bring them to you. Um, finally today, our good deed of the day. In the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. An anonymous woman in the Houston, Texas area who ran across a wallet stuffed full of cash and actually returned it to the rightful owner. Yeah, I mean, this is, that's always nice to see. Um, But now the rightful owner is looking to find who this woman is. She said she lost the wallet. She was out uh, picking up her family's dinner at the Brisket House in uh, Tanglewood. Uh, Left the uh, $1,000 wallet, which had hundreds of dollars inside. But she said, my daughter answered the door 
And there was a woman there that I'd never met. And she's bringing back my wallet, my brand new wallet. My husband just bought me. I just gone to the bank. I had several hundred dollars in there and it was all there. She didn't even realize her wallet was gone at the time. She hadn't even you know noticed that she didn't have it. Uh, the uh, stranger caught on a doorbell video camera, but uh, so far they haven't been able to identify the woman. She you know handed back the wallet, turned around and left. Wallet's owner says, I don't know what it was that inspired her to do this for us. We don't deserve it. I don't know why. I just pray that karma is a real thing, and I hope that she gets the best going forward. Well, you know, monetary reward, clearly, that wasn't something that the woman cared about. She just, again, was in the right place at the right time and wanted to do the right thing for a stranger, knowing that, uh, you know, if she had lost a wallet with the hundreds of dollars inside. She'd want that money returned and decided to, uh, again, I don't want to say pay it forward, but make sure that that the money and the wallet was returned to its rightful owner. Not everybody would do that these days. So whoever that anonymous Good Samaritan is, thanks for doing the right thing. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow, covering some of the latest Second Amendment news and information from across the nation. Most likely what's going on today in Massachusetts. House Democrats getting ready to ram through a gun control bill, last-minute amendments, new bill numbers, all kinds of hijinks going on with this legislation. We'll be uh, talking about it again on Thursday's Bearing Arms Cam and Company, uh, as well as on the website throughout the day today. So make sure you check out BearingArms.com. If you like what you see, I encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. All you have to do, go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. News stories and opinions, analysis that matters, just like your support. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.